Dimity McDowell here with the Train Like a Mother Club. I've got um, Coach Amanda Loudon kind of sprawling out there in this lovely spring day. Feels so nice in the sunshine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What's it like out there in your in your neck of the woods? Um, I think we're supposed to hit like 80 today. So, um, it's we have, you know what? In Maryland, we get so stinking humid, and so this is our very very short period of time with this little window. Maybe it's about two weeks long, yeah. um, where it gets warm and the humidity hasn't really set in yet. So I'm gonna soak it all up when I can. You know. I know. You look. I mean, you got your cute sports bra on or your black tank top. You're looking. <laughs> Meanwhile, I'm like in my wool sweater. It's supposed to be I'll wrap that uh, 50 tomorrow here with rain. Oh. Which is great. I'll take the rain. We need rain like a mother needs running. You know. Like yeah. Yeah. But it, it is definitely that wishy-washy weather right now. Um, yeah. And it's also race season, which makes it particularly fun, right? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> definitely. Show up. It could be 80 and humid, and it could be 40 and sleeting, and that yeah. that's so nice. It is definitely tough for those situations. Yeah. Well, yeah. So, so let's dive right into it. What we did for this um, webinar, we're going to kind of keep a soft focus on racing because a lot of you guys are heading to the starting line soon, but but we also have other questions as well. So I want to just, um, we're just going to kind of dive in and kind of have a little, you know, poo-poo platter of questions here. So the first one comes from um, Liz, who in this, we're going to go right into TMI um, with Liz, who's in the 10K group right now. She said, here's a fun P question. For a race, I have to pee, and then I go, and then I have to pee again, and then I go, and I repeat this cycle a million times. I know it's all nerves because I never have to stop during my training runs, but I don't know how to stop the feeling. Uh, before my last half, I had to go and went a few times. Once the race started, I had to go again. Um, I had to try to push back the feeling starting at like half a mile. She finally stopped at mile six, um, and then she had to stop at every porta potty from there on out. Her 10K is on May 20th, and she's hoping to make six miles and not 13. Since it, oh, since it's six miles and not 13, she's hoping that she won't have this issue, or she can make herself wait. Any suggestions? Um, I mean, yeah, definitely. First of all, yeah, nerves make us all have to pee and pee again. Um, that said, I would check the color of your pee. I mean, I, to me, it almost sounds like you're drinking too much. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, see if you're peeing clear. And if you're peeing completely clear, you're probably overhydrating. And, um, you know, because generally what I find happens is once I'm out there on the race course and starting to sweat, that kind of overrides the need to pee. I'm getting rid of, you know, what, whatever excess, um, I guess, fluids are in my system. And so, you know, I'm, I'm making the assumption that you're sweating when you're running. Um, and, and that, you know, you shouldn't have to pee that often. So, um, Kind of check in on that. Maybe maybe experiment, especially since it's only a 10k. You know, you, you don't need to be all you know that watered down for a 10k. You know, so yeah. I mean, most of your training runs have been at least the length of this race, if not longer. Yeah. Along yeah. So yeah, I think that that's that's exactly what I thought too. And then the other thing is, is Liz, as you brought up that it, you think it is nerves, um, and I'm guessing that it probably is too. And um, you know, I would definitely like limit your hydration the morning of. Um, so that you don't, I mean, again, like if, it would be one thing if we were setting you out to run a marathon, but but, but uh, a 10K is six miles. Um, but then I would also really try to like practice some relaxation in the in the start in the starting corral. And I'm, this is on my mind because uh, we just did a perform like a mother seminar yesterday with, with Dr. Justin Ross. And, and um, you know, he's like, you know, just stand in the starting corral. I mean, you can observe so much human behavior and it's kind of fun, you know, um, just you know, are like twitching and jumping and, you know, yawning and, you know, whatever. But, 
you know, take that time to kind of center yourself, you know, take some deep breaths, set your intention for the race, um, you know, kind of realize that your mind is so much more powerful than you think it is. And it can, I mean, I'm not saying it, you know, it can, can, can directly control your bladder. I don't know enough about physiology to know that, but I do think that you have some control of your level of anxiety. Um, the one thing that I will say about that is his, you know, and, that, and this is not revolutionary, but you have to practice it. Right. So even though you say you don't need to go during training runs, like before your long run, you know, leading up to your race, put yourself mentally in the corral, you know, and do your relaxation or do your mantra or do whatever you think is going to give you a calming feeling and a feeling of control over your body. But you got to practice it a couple times so that you can't just show up on race day and expect it to be, you know, 100 percent effective. So that's the, I mean, so there's. I think stopping the drinking, like you said, and then just kind of trying to bring in a little bit of a mental element. Um, but if it is like something that, you know, physiologically you can't control, then you need to, you know, there's pelvic floor, um, you know, PTs, you can do physical therapy for your pelvic floor, or, you know, talk to a doctor. I mean, obviously we're not, we're far from that. <laughs> we're hanging out on our porch in Maryland right now. <laughs> so, um, anyway, so there you go, Liz. Um, okay, Meredith is asking, she says um, she's running the half marathon in Pittsburgh, and she says, any tips on looking at a course map and developing a race plan? The Pittsburgh race course changed this year. I know, I, I knew where the tough spots were on the old course, but now I need to rethink it. This is, this is a really good question. How do you, I mean, as a coach, how do you read a, a race course, Amanda? Um, I mean, I think you, you know, look over the elevation charts. Um, but also, really, when you're looking at an elevation chart, they can be they can be a little bit deceptive. And I know we're going to address this a little bit later. Um, but um, you know, look at the numbers, read the numbers of the elevation course, because sometimes those hills can look so ferocious. And in reality, um, it's not. You know, you're talking like 200 feet to 300 feet or something like not huge elevation. So so read those numbers to drill down. But also see if you can find. Um, see if there are any YouTube videos of the course. Sometimes those are out there. People, um, you know, yeah. ride the course and take a YouTube video, so you can kind of look at that. Um, and so, kind of start, you know, just committing to memory where some of the bigger hills are or spots that you know are, you know, maybe not going to be your forte. Maybe it's a spot with lots of turns, you know, and and that's always going to throw your pace off. That kind of thing, and just kind of have those in mind um, and kind of mentally prep for that. And, you know, know that I'm, I'm a big fan when it comes to hills. I'm a big fan of not worrying about your pace on the hill. Keep your effort level up so that it feels like the same pace that you were holding on the flat. But don't try to maintain that same pace climbing a hill because it's going to take a lot out of you. Um, so run the hills by feel. You know, pick up your pace on the downhill then as you're recovering a little bit. Um, but, you know, that, that, so those would be my pointers for, for looking at, at race yeah. courses. I really like the idea of, of trying to find a YouTube, and because Pittsburgh has changed that route, it may not, they may not have that up. Yeah, yeah. I think that's good. I mean, the one thing that I would add to that is I think hills always look so much worse in a car than they do on foot. I like agree. I, I have driven a couple race courses, and you're like, oh, my God, I'm going to be on this hill forever. Yeah. And, um, and, then, and then you realize, like, when you're on foot, it just doesn't – I mean, certainly it's hard. Don't get me wrong. It's not like it's a piece of cake, but there's something about, you know – being in control of your effort of it versus just looking at it that mentally yeah. makes yeah. so um, and then like you said those those elevation courses I mean you could make you know the Chicago Marathon look <laughs> like 
you're climbing Mount Everest, right? If you like, but but you look at the little elevation chart and it's like, oh, it's zero to ten feet, right? Yes. You know, like that's how much it wavers or something like that. But right. So, right. so knowing how much really, like, if it's between you know 100 feet and 400 feet, that's that's significant. I mean, the hard thing that I often find is I don't always remember what it feels like to climb 200 feet, right? Or what a yeah. 100 foot hill. I mean, 100 feet is actually quite a bit. Yeah, that's, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, so you don't say so, so. You know, um, you know. I guess if I really wanted to know what that was, and you're really like looking to do very well, I would go and look back at like your Strava or your Garmin or whatever you have. You know, records of your run and see where you climbed hills like that, and then kind of get a sense of them, right? Yeah. So, you know, because it's like a 50 foot hill. What does that feel like? Well, it depends upon the pitch. It depends upon you know. There's there's a lot of things there. So, you know, it depends upon how much you want to slice and dice it. But I think. You know, like you said, studying it a little bit, um, talking to people who have run it, um, or, you know, if you live close to it, you know, running on it is always going to be um, helpful. Absolutely. So, awesome. Okay, Marie, um, and actually, since we're here, let's talk about um, <laughs> Laura's question. How about elevation maps? Yeah. She's doing the Jack and Jill full, um, but in general, they're looking like at a they're like looking at a presentation by a CFO in Greek, and she says, no offense to finance savvy bammers. Um, are they useful and can they help in training? Are you are you familiar with the Jack and Jill um, race, Amanda? Not, no. And I I'm not either, except for that Coach MK ran it, uh, a similar one, and so it's it's a course outside of Seattle. It's it's, it's Issaquah, um, Washington, and it's a net downhill. Okay. It, yeah, it's a net downhill, and it's it's um there's a couple of different races. There's it's called Light at the End of the Tunnel. There's Jack and Jills, and I think maybe there's one more, and they're all in the same course. They're just different races, different weekends. Okay. Um, and so the full is basically a 26.2 mile net downhill. So it's pretty gradually downhill. Um, and so maybe talk a little bit about a downhill race and how she might want to think about preparing for that first. Sure. So downhill, the issue is always going to be your quads. It's going to trash your quads um, more than, you know, any other type of uh, course. And so... You definitely, I would say, if you know that's what you're facing, um, it's worthwhile to maybe find a hill um, and practice a few downhill repeats um, now and again, maybe every couple of weeks, you know, go out there and, um, you know, it could be even in the middle of a run if you find a decent hill, just turn around, run back up it, um, you know, easily run up it, and then practice running down it, you know, so that you can kind of start conditioning your quads. Also, any kind of strength training that works your quads is good um, because that, that, like I said, that's definitely where you're going to feel it. Um, so, and then go, going back to the elevation chart and, yeah. um, I mean, are they useful? Can they help in training? I mean, I think the down, you definitely need to practice going downhill, Laura, um, for this, this race. I mean, I would definitely, the downhill repeats are, I would start integrating that pretty, pretty quickly into your 18 weeks of training. Um, but I, I mean, you, you're going to, I mean, for that, I would definitely read, um, course reports and kind of maybe see if there's any videos out there um, and anything else I mean yeah and again like just like what we said before is you know kind of commit to memory where some of those you know hills are and what you're going to be facing and so you can be mentally prepared like okay I know mile four is going to be this big screaming downhill and you know kind of so that you're when you're on the course you can kind of have that in mind um, and, and again, don't 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 let some of the charts flip you out, you know, because they can look much bigger than they are. Drill down, look at the numbers, um, 
you know, to kind of calm yourself down and not psych yourself out. Um, so, you know, but yeah, I, they, they are, um, they, they do look kind of like crazy scientific, you know, um, experiments. But yeah, the presentation, absolutely. The other thing, Laura, just because I, because um, Coach MK has run that night, and I've heard her talk about that, I've heard her talk to other people about that, is you really, the marathon is a long way to go, whether it's a net downhill or not. And so you really are going to need to, um, when you are doing your um, downhill repeats and you're thinking about pacing the race, um, you really need to pay attention to not going out too fast. I mean, it's a very, from what I understand, I've never seen it, but it's a very gradual downhill. It's not like you're, you know, heading down a canyon, but, you know, that is going to um, affect how your pace and you need to be prepared to um, dial it back so that you have something left at the end. Yeah, the temptation is definitely going to be there on a downhill to pick up your pace and go faster. Um, I mean, that's, that's the classic Boston situation. You start out downhill and trash your quads, and then, you know, mile 20, 21, you've got these series of, of, of uphills. So, um, yeah, and, and then you pay for it. So, yeah. Special Boston present just for you. Okay. Yeah. Um, Maureen is um, asking this. Um, how can you – but can you talk through the balance of running by effort and respecting what the day brings in terms of conditions and still pushing hard to hit a specific goal time. So she's basically asking, how do you know when a goal isn't realistic based on the conditions that you get that day? And actually, I mean, this is talking about Boston. I mean, there was a lot of carnage out there because people were not willing to pay respect the weather, right? Yeah, and, and I think that is really step one right there is look at the temperatures and you know and if you're getting an unexpectedly warm day just don't even try don't even try to hit your 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 goal pace just know you're going to have to dial it back and and again like getting into the suffering later on if you don't you will really really pay for it so step one is check the weather see if it's you know accommodating to your goal pace um, and also that's an, a very individual everyone knows you know some people do better in warmer temperatures than others and some sure. fall apart you know I fall apart in warm weather I know I'm, I'm afraid of warm weather races so you know know, know yourself on that one um, but but then you know when you get into the race um, you know I talk about it in the race strategy but I am definitely a fan of, of starting out and easing into things um, and then depending on your distance you know if you're running a half marathon you know mile three or four you want to be able to start settling into pace and I'd say after you know, three, four miles of attempting pace, if it's starting to just feel not doable at that point, you know, maybe that is a good good time to say, okay, I'm going to drop down, you know, maybe even just start with like 10 seconds per mile slower, um, just and see how that feels. And sometimes that makes all the difference right there. And you just, maybe sometimes that'll just recharge you and let you take a breather and recover a little bit, and then you can pick it back up again. Um, so it's something you kind of need to play with while you're out there. Um, but, you know, again, half marathon, give it once you're into your, your pace and trying to hold pace for three or four miles. Make that your assessment point and, and see how it feels. Um, a marathon a little bit longer. Um, I mean, I think you can keep playing with your pace right up until the half marathon mark or so. And if you still, you know, if it's just really evident that it's not going to happen that day, dial back. Sure, so. sure. Yeah. yeah, I mean that's that's I mean this is it's a little bit of a million dollar question, right? Like when do you know to push and when do you know to blame it on the weather or the wind or whatever? And yeah. I think kind of just like it's almost like um, sometimes I think of myself when I'm out doing something like that, like looking at myself from above, like looking at this runner who is um, in 
not me, but in the same situation that I'm in, right? And just kind of like assessing it rationally. Like, okay, you know, is it is is the sun, you know, is she in direct sunlight? Is she in the wind? Is she um, climbing a hill? You know, and then and then kind of come at it internally. Like, am I letting myself off the hook? I mean, that's, you know, it's really easy to let yourself off the hook when you feel hot. But do you feel hot because, you know, it's 80 degrees or do you feel hot because you're working hard? You know, like there's, there's definitely, um, you know, a little bit of, art and science that has to go into it and some an internal assessment and some external assessment. So yeah. and, very, and will, I'm sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. It's just that's a little wishy-washy, but I mean it's 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 kind of the reality of the situation, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It is. And I do want to add in there um you kind of touch on this and, and that is if you're going for a goal pace, um going for a PR, it 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 should be challenging for you. It will be yeah. challenging for you. And so remind yourself in there it's going to have to hurt, unfortunately, you know, but that's part of it. That's just part of the game if you're going for, you know, if you're if you're stretching yourself, it's going to hurt a little bit. So, you know, assess if it's hurting the right amount or if it's hurting, you know, to a point where this is ridiculous, I can't breathe, I'm working so hard to maintain this pace. You know, you, you don't want that for a longer event. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, yeah, I mean, and, and I think that, that that's – um that's a little bit like going off the hurt. I mean, that's the whole point of why we're out. Not the whole point of why we are out there, but if you are going for a time and you're hurting, like leaning into it and saying, this is, this is good. This means that I'm, I'm getting there. I'm getting, you know, I'm, I'm doing the right things instead of yeah. having that be a negative, um, which is, you know, kind of what I think I know I'm programmed to do. Like, oh, make it stop, make it stop. Instead of yeah. being like, yes, Jimmy, keep going. Like, that's what you want. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can remember, um, you know, I, I, one of my half marathon PRs, I was hurting by mile three or four. It hurt. And I was kind of like, holy crap, am I going to be able to hold on like this? But yeah. I did. I just kept trying and trying and trying. And at the end, and then the second time, the next time I went out and ran a half marathon, I was able to remind myself, okay, you were hurting this early before, and it's okay. You know? Yeah. Just, you know, yeah. It is. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Um, Melissa is running her first marathon this year. She says, assuming I don't die from the training, we're not going <laughs> to die. No, no deaths on our watch, please, Melissa. Um, she'd like to work towards a Boston qualifying time over the next three years. What is the best way to gradually increase speed and build strength to BQ? She's run short races at a fast pace um, than what she would need to to BQ, but she's also never really trained to improve her speed. So, yeah, I mean, so she, it sounds like she's kind of speedier during the 5Ks right now, but obviously we've got to spread that out over many hours. So. If you if you have if you're coaching an individual client like this, how would you kind of ramp them up towards getting um, getting a faster marathon? Well, first off, I want to say kudos to her for making it a three-year plan. I think that's fantastic. I, I, I was I was gonna stop and like do some editorial commentary there, but then I thought I'd lose the flow of the question. But I agree. Setting a goal that has a realistic timeline with everything else in your life is beautiful, and most of us have a really hard time doing that. So nice work. Yeah. yeah. So I think that's a a, a fantastic very big first step in getting there. Um, you know, and then beyond that, I would say, you know, you want to maybe with each training cycle, you want to be able to step up your game a little bit. Um, so, for instance, if you're training right now using, um, you know, the, and I'm sorry, the, the, the finish it plan, uh, yeah, I was thinking crush it. So if you're, if you're, yeah, if you're, if you're training right now using finish it, maybe consider for the next training cycle stepping up to the crush it plan. Um, Get a good realistic assessment of where you are at the end of this training cycle. You know when you finish this this marathon, 
um, you'll have a good idea of where you are, how much further you need to get, and then you know for your next training cycle, you know try to find some numbers that you know are are um, realistic but yet challenging again, and start plugging in those numbers for your goal race pace and using them for your intervals and things like that. So you know say say you run a four hour this time and you need to get to a 3:45. So maybe the next marathon cycle, and I wouldn't I would not recommend if this is your first marathon, um, I would not recommend doing one every season between now and three years from now. You know, maybe wait a year now before you do your next one. And in between, run some of that shorter stuff, half marathon, um, a couple of half marathons would be good in the next year, you know, a couple 10Ks, things like that that do work on your speed, um, keep you in shape, and keep you moving toward that that goal. But again, so then when you go back to the, to the marathon training, hopefully, ideally, a year from now, um, you know, make your goal, if it was a four hour and you wouldn't need a 345, make it your goal to run your next one, maybe like a, a 350 to 355 or something like that. You know, give yourself a little span there and set your training paces up to get to that point. So it's it's an incremental process is what I would say. And, and each time kind of take it down a little bit, you know, provided that you're progressing the way you want to. Absolutely. So. Yeah, and I always just have like a little PS just to kind of compliment the great advice that you give. I really think too, Melissa, that you cannot slack at all on your strength training. You know, on that prehab routine that you put together, Coach Amanda, on you know, um, you know, for the next three years. I mean, that sounds like a very long time, but <laughs> your your speed is going to come from your strength um, in a lot of ways, and so. Um, that, you know, as much as like it's fun to watch your paces drop and it's fun to focus on the next marathon, um, going along with that is, um, you know, making sure that your, your glutes are strong, that your hips are strong and can support you because injury will set you back, you know, many, many miles, um, as we both know. <laughs> so, <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. So, uh, that's great though. Um, yeah. And I, and I, and I want to, um, also like, you know, I think that that idea of not running a marathon every season until then, you know, really picking and choosing and, you know, it's not taking your eye off the goal that's being very deliberate about how you're going to get to your goal. So, you know, yeah. take a shot in the fall and then maybe the following fall and then maybe go for it. Um, like that. Yeah. Um, unless you end up loving the marathon distance. I mean, you know, there are people that can hit it a couple times a year, but I don't know. I really find that few and far between. And, even if you can, your body can withstand it. I sometimes feel that a mental burnout can can. I, I I totally agree with that. And I just you know with with a three year out plan, you've got the time, and why not you know ease into it and and run those shorter races. I think they are really valuable for the long distance stuff. I really do. So yeah, totally. Okay, Shawnee is asking for perspective on fueling and including specific fueling strategies you recommend during the race. And I don't. Um, I'm thinking that this is from the marathon page, um, so I'm guessing it's a marathon, but let's talk a little bit about half and a little bit about full and fuel. Yeah, um, this one's tough because it's so incredibly individual. I mean, I have friends who can go 20 miles, you know, without in a, in a race even without doing much more than water or maybe a few sips of Gatorade, and then I know other people who need to have a window of like four, every four to five miles taking in some calories. and. Um, there are definitely formulas out there for how much you weigh and how much you should be drinking and how often you should be taking in calories and things like that. So you can look those up, and I, I should have probably looked those up. Um, I think it's kind of 100 to 200 calories an hour is what I have 
heard, more or less. Yeah, yeah, that sounds right. Um, very, very general um, guideline. And again, it's yeah. But yeah, keep going. Yeah, but you know, I mean, just the, the very, very best advice I can give you is just to keep practicing in your training runs, on your long runs in particular, and um, try different combinations of things. You know, go out for a long run, um, try maybe every five to six miles or every four to five miles of taking in some calories. Um, do not take in um, like a goo with a um, with a swat, a, a, a drink of um, noon, for instance, because that's too much sugar all at once. So you want to alternate that kind of stuff, you know. So take your take your noon, you know, along the way, but not with your goo. And then next time you're taking in fuel, take in some goo with some water, or you know, some something like that. But um, play, play, play with it, and you know, play with different formulations, and really make note after you come in from that long run. Make note of when you took took in your calories, what you took in. And how it felt, and um, you know, did you feel like you lost energy in there, or did you feel maybe some upset stomach, which could indicate that you're taking in too much sugar, you know, too close together. Um, those types of things. Make note, practice, and um, hopefully, you know, at, over the course of a couple of months. Um, I don't know if you have that much time right now, but um, if you know, hopefully, over the course of a couple of months, you can you can kind of come up with the right formulation for you. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's, again, we're, we're definitely not trying to be wishy-washy, but I mean, you know, realizing, you know, like, that everybody has very different um, intestinal tracts and tolerates things very differently and, you know, has different taste buds and might feel like, you know, some people really like goo, some people feel like, oh my God, I'll ne if I never have another one in my life, I'd be fine. You know, it really just depends on what you want. So, I mean... The only thing that, um, you know, I will say sometimes is when um, I've heard this uh, is that, and we've, we've talked about it at Expos, is when you are starting to feel negative, when your negative thoughts start coming in, like, oh, I shouldn't be out here, oh, I'm not going to hit my pace, oh, finish line so far away, and you're generally having a good race, it's not like, you know, you, you know you're generally having a good race, that is a slight sign that your, your brain is trying to kind of shut your body down a little bit. Yeah. And, best source of that is, is simple sugar, right? It is goo, it is, you know, um, noon doesn't have sugar in it, that's just more of um, the electrolytes, but, you know, so say, taking some sports drink, taking a goo, taking whatever source of simple sugar that you have that feels good, and, and going back to what you were saying, practicing it, knowing when those times are going to hit, because they might hit for me, you know, when I'm running a tough, you know, a nice, you know, steady, comfortably hard run, they might for, hit for me every 30 minutes, and they might hit for you, Amanda, because you're smaller than I am every hour, and they might hit for Shawnee every 45 minutes. Like it really, you know, you really got to pay attention. You got to tune in. You got to see how you're feeling. You got to, you know, you want to finish, give, give yourself enough fuel so that you feel like you can finish strong, but not walk the line between, you know, obviously you don't want to overfuel. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you don't want that. You know, you don't want the GI distress from from too much, and so so that's where yeah. it is good to go home and, and record it, and and so you can yeah. you know and fine tune it from one run to the next. Totally, totally. Okay, um, maybe an easier question. Um, okay, Jen is asking about compression gear. When is it most beneficial, and for how long should I wear it to get benefits? She has compression socks as well as capris. I sometimes wear after long runs, but the capris tend to upset my stomach after a long run. So I'm wondering if I can wear them maybe the day after a long run and still receive some benefit, or is it best to wear immediately afterwards? So here's the real truth about compression gear. Yeah. <laughs> There's not a lot of science behind it that, that, that says that it, it 
certainly not while exercising. There's nothing that really supports its benefits. It's just not there. Um, and, and, and as far as for recovery, again, not a ton of support for it. Support. Um, but, uh, <laughs> but it's, um, you know, if, but, but if, if you psychologically feel better by putting it on, you know, I still, like, after a marathon, for instance, I'll slip into those compression socks. If for whatever reason, it makes me feel like I'm recovering better. Yes. Whether or not it is scientifically. So what I would say to you is if those capris bother you right after a long run, you're not losing anything by not putting them on. Um, and maybe consider just throwing on the socks. Um, you know, and maybe that's your solution right there. If you if you feel like you get benefit from compression in recovery, you know, maybe just go for the socks. And that and that is certainly enough. It, it's not not so much um, a matter of exactly where it is on your body. I mean, the, the theory behind it is that it's you know it's squeezing and your 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 muscles and it's making the blood flow better and and faster into your into your um, system. So. You know, um, my my advice would be if you want to wear it, wear it after and throw on the socks if the capris bother you. Yeah, I mean if the capris upset your stomach, those got to be that's got to be some tightly woven fabric. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I would not. I mean, I would definitely go for uh, an unupset stomach over you know recovery on your legs. I mean, you can recover in so many other ways, which again, you know, the science is a little murky, but you know, around an ice bath, you could take an ice bath. You can definitely foam roll um, and give yourself self-massage. So there's some other things that you can do that are just as effective. I'm kind of with you. I, I feel like, um, I mean, sometimes I sleep in compression socks after a long run, although they tend to, I prefer the sleeves. Like my feet get really, and my feet don't like to be compressed. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so if I, I keep my feet free. But then also, um, I think that also, like, the one time that I feel like, okay, this is legit, not not legit. I, I think it's legit. If you believe in it, it may feel good, and if it does, awesome. But flying, you know, if, especially if you're flying home right after a race or something like that, that definitely because I have definitely seen my feet and my calves just blow up. Um, yes. Hit the high, hit the friendly skies after running my miles on the ground. So. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. All the science shows that I mean that where it may have some benefits for people who do like sprinting races, that kind of thing, like the explosive movement. Yeah. Um, but endurance, it's pretty shaky, so, yeah. Yeah, well, it, it does, I mean, it feels good, though, sometimes. I mean, sometimes it, it just feels good, it like, oh, you're going to support, you're going to hug my muscles? Oh, yay, that feels right. great. So. Right, yeah, no, I, I've been a believer in the socks post-long long race, you know, for years, and so, whatever. If I if my head thinks that, that's fine. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Okay, uh, Melinda is about to race. She's going to Big Sur. She's 11 days out, and she's starting to get nervous, like really nervous, like that hill at mile 10 to 12 is going to slay me. Have you run Big Sur, Amanda? Mm-mm, mm-mm. Uh, yeah. I Even though I train on hilly routes and I'm okay with walking if need be. Like maybe I should completely change my electrolytes to salt tabs because I'm convinced the electrolyte drink wrecks havoc on my bowels, even though this idea just came to me the other day. Of course, I could have prepared myself and tested these and other things during training, and some I did. But now, how do I quiet my mind, accept what is, and embrace the nothing new on race day? Because right now, every idea in my head is new, and I'm freaking out a little. <laughs> She's tapering. You can say that. She's tapering. Um, yeah. yeah. Um, so, you know, um, I think, um, you know, first of all, negative self-talk is really, really common. And, and in particular, during this taper period, you know, you start doubting everything that you've done. And, and questioning if it's going to get you to the finish line and that kind of thing. Um, so I, I would recommend at this point, um, if you've kept some logs or if you've updated, up, uploaded some workouts to Strava or, or, or Training Peaks or wherever it might be, um, you know, 
go back and look over some things and remind yourself, you know, wow, here is this 20 miler and it was stinking hard and I did it and I, I'm strong and here's this goal race pace run that I did and I held that for six miles or whatever it might have been and reinforce yourself that, that you've done the training, you've got what it takes, you've got the tools already in hand, your legs are ready, you're resting um, and you've also I'm guessing experimented at this point with the electrolytes, with all the other things, and you do know what has worked for you. So go with what you know. Don't throw those new things in there. <laughs> you'll, 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 you could potentially come to regret it, and we don't want that. Um, so just, just kind of go back and reinforce things, and also do a little bit of thinking about um, what, what are you going to do out on the course if you do have, you know, a, a really tough hill or a bad mile, or if you know you're cramping. What, work through your mind what, what, what your worst case scenarios are and what you're going to do about them so that you kind of already have a mental plan in place and that will kind of help calm you too like okay this is happening and this is my response you know so um, start doing those types of things and you've got 11 days you can you can do it every single day you know give yourself some gratitude for what you've done positively reinforce all the things that have gone right and, and concentrate on those absolutely yeah I mean I think I mean this is and Melinda I mean if I had a dollar for every time I read a post similar to yours about 11 days out or 12 days out or six days out, you know, um, I could at least, you know, uh, buy Starbucks for a week <laughs> or a month and, you know, um, but I mean, it's, it's very normal, very, very normal. And um, so know that, first of all. And then the second thing that I just want to, because I was just working on this earlier today, I was working on the triathlon newsletters and, um, you know, I did Ironman a couple of years ago, my one and only, and I wrote a post about getting to Iron Man and doubting everything because this person had, you know, KT tape on her shoulder and I had a bad shoulder and this person's talking about his salt tabs and how he's going to take four every hour or whatever. And I'm like, Oh, I don't, I've never, do I need salt tabs? I, I don't know, you know, and all the training and everything that I had done that had worked for me and I had visualized and been there. I was all of a sudden like, you know, this puddle on the floor, like who, who do I think I am? You know, like everything can go wrong. And, and, um, and the one thing I can say is, you know, you know, you are the boss of your race. You get to decide what you're going to do. You know what works best for you. You've lived in this body. You've run in this body forever. And everything, all of your doubts, all of your what-ifs will disappear the second you cross the finish line. I mean, it's the starting line, the starting line, and the finish yeah. line. But, um, but, I mean, if you can just kind of, like, remind yourself that and remind yourself that, you know, being anxious, being um, – nervous and, and questioning things just means that you care, right? It just means that you've put a lot into this. You've invested yourself into this training. You're going to run Big Sur, which is a notoriously challenging course. And, you know, if you weren't nervous, I would actually question you more, right? So um, so just, you know, the more that you can kind of just, like like I said in my story, like keep your eyes in your own boat, you know, and, and, and trust that you steer your own boat and trust that you know how to steer your own boat the best. Um, you're going to be fine, you know, go, go, you know, kind of revel in it, but it is really hard. It is hard. This is, you know, the time where we say that the training shifts from the body to the mind. And most of us don't like to be in our mind. That's why we're runners. We like to kind of get all our yayas out on the road. Um, and we're not able to do that when you are, you know, tapering for big sur. So, um, so have fun and don't change anything. On um, okay, so that, those are the questions that we had. I'm going to just take a couple minutes here. We're going to take a couple minutes. I'm going to pull up my screen in case people want to watch this. 
Um, and you put together just some really nice, um, what we're calling like strategies for success. Right. Um, let's talk through the half marathon and then we can kind of just tweak it a little bit for the marathon. Um, but let's, let's see here. So you're getting to the race early. Um, I mean, this is again, another very individual thing. Some people like to kind of park, shove their keys in their pocket and go, um, where go meaning hit the, hit the starting line where others of us, you know, you know, need to hit the porta potty a couple times, right, Liz? Um, how do you kind of gauge where what where you need to be in that spectrum, Amanda? Um, I mean, I I think everyone knows themselves, but I I think that um, you know what? It's why add the stress of running late um, and you know getting your parking spot and everything else um, to the stress you already have, um, you know, just from running this race in, that you care about. So um, you know that's that's why I suggest getting out the door a little bit earlier than you would. You know, then maybe you maybe you'd like that extra 15 minutes of sleep, but maybe take away that 15 minutes of sleep and get there a little bit early and and you know get situated and 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 feel you know take a few deep breaths at that point. You know, absolutely. even if it means sitting in your car and listening to some music, you know, to kill the time, whatever. You know, yeah. absolutely, yeah. And the bigger the race, the more you need to get there early, right? Yeah. And we're heading into. I mean, you may not need a drop bag at spring races, but fall races, you know, you typically do. So. You know, definitely give yourself enough time to find the drop bag, go through the porta potty enough times that you need to, and um, and get to your corral with, so you can take some deep breaths, like we talked about. Um, yeah. But for for the half marathon, you you kind of advocate for a warm up. Can you can you talk about that? Yeah, um, you know, I, I mean, you're you're not you're not going to be going out, you know, full out, obviously, at the beginning of a half marathon, but you're going to be taking it out at a you know, nice enough clip um, that you want to have your legs warmed up and ready to go. So yeah, I, I think it's great to get out, shake out the legs a little bit. Um, you can even throw in a couple of um, pickups in that, you know, five, ten mile, um, or ten mile. <laughs> yeah. No, minutes. Yeah. A five, <laughs> five mile pickup. <laughs> um, warm up and, um, you know, it also, it really helps actually, it'll calm your nerves. Um, you'll, you'll find that, you know, you'll kind of get comfortable with the running and it'll kind of just release a little bit of nervous energy. So, um, yeah. Yeah. And I recommend doing it as close to getting into your corral as possible, um, to, so the benefits carry over as, as as much as they can. Absolutely. And it also gets rid of your nerves so that you do um, at, at the start hold back. And this is like we put it in like all caps, like hold back, slow your roll. How do you? I mean, I feel like this is if, if everybody could do this, you know it would be so beneficial. I mean, how do you yourself, Amanda, make sure that you decide, you know, keep your pace nice and easy at the start of a longer race? You know, I tell myself it has to feel silly slow. I mean, it has to feel ridiculous. Like this, like there is no way I am going this slow. There's no way I'm going to make my time at this pace. But it is so, it's so deceiving at the beginning of a race. I mean, because you're fresh. Um, everyone's going out around you, and it's so easy to get sucked in and 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 have it not feel bad, um, but it but it actually is bad. <laughs> so yeah. you know, remind yourself over and over and over again how much you want that that energy at the end, and and it, it has to feel ridiculously slow. And it, and it's okay. Remind yourself over and over again. It's okay to feel the slow. It's okay to let people go. You know, I'm gonna pass that guy at mile 12. You know, because he went out too fast. So yeah. And you will, you will, you will see them again. I mean, we see everybody again. Maybe not, but honestly, like if you can play a game with yourself, like, okay, watch him. Wow, he's starting really fast. I mean, you know, he's wearing a, um, 
you know, blue striped shirt. I'm going to see him again. You know, I'm going to look for him again in an hour or two. Um, I think, you know, that's kind of fun. Um, but I like that idea. Silly slow, like just like almost like the wave of, of like a wave is washing over you of runners and you're just like, whoa, where's everyone going? And you're just kind of bobbing along. I mean, you can always pick it up, but um, it is really hard to pick it up if you if you've already like burned up all your matches. I mean, again, one of the things that I think about sometimes is how many matches you have to burn in a race. And and you mm. know, for a half marathon, let's see, you have 13, and for a, and a, for a full, you have 26. And if you um, you know burn up five matches in that first mile because you let the music pumping and the momentum and of the runners around you and you know your fresh legs and your you know your kind of racing mind take up too many of your matches, like I guarantee you, you will feel that empty box, you know, at mile 11 um, or mile 22 more than you would if you really paced yourself. So if you can just try to have as much perspective as possible um, and kind of think of it as an experiment, um, you're going to be very well rewarded. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Okay. So we, so um, you, you kind of said this before, but mile three to four, that's kind of, where you're looking to see, kind of set your, find your groove, find your goal pace groove. Yeah, yeah. For a half marathon, that's a good place to start. You know, settling in, get into that goal pace, and um, you know, try to just stay there and 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 get into a rhythm and feel good and just you know, plug away with those miles. Yeah, absolutely. Um, actually, and let's back up for one second. I I, I do want you to talk about pacers um, because that is definitely you know um, a a hot topic around another mother runner. Um, yes, no, and why, Amanda? I, I think it's fine with the caveat that you need to understand not all pacers do their job as they should. And I have worked as a pacer with other pacers. I have followed pacers. I have done every combination there is. And there are many, many times where they are not going out on pace. Um, and also, they may not, may not be going out, even if they are going out on pace, they may not be going out on what feels right for you. And again, getting back to starting slow, their, their job is to, to hit that mile split from mile one on. So, um, and I'm recommending to you here, like we just talked about, that you don't, that you hold back. So, my recommendation is keep them in sight. They may be a ways down the road, but, you know, they'll, they'll be holding up their signs for at least the first mile or so, and, and you can kind of see them and... Um, you know, keep them in sight, stalk them, um, and then, you know, if it looks like they're doing a good job and um, not going out like crazy, you know, maybe settle in behind them, you know, by that mile, three to four mark. Um, but, um, but again, just, just pay attention and be cognizant of, of the fact that they're not always going to be, um, you know, what they're billed to be. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's happened to me. I mean, that's, I mean, the last race that I ran was the Twin Cities 10-miler, and I can't remember the, the person around me, but I was very frustrated that he was there and he wasn't supposed to be. Like, because I definitely was, I, I don't remember what the times were, but I was, you know, on pace to beat him. And I'm like, what are you doing up here? You know, like, and he was not doing a good job. So you, again, you are the boss of your own race, so you decide whether or not this person is worthy of helping you to get your goal or if you need to really, you know, really settle into your own strategy. Um, one thing that I did a long time ago when I ran the Denver Rock and Roll, um, I was coming back from an injury and I, um, I, I definitely was not going to PR. Um, and I started and they, and they had um, pacers every, for, for every five minutes. So, um, so I started behind the 205 pacer and I think, you know, um, I wanted to run maybe around two hours. And, um, but starting behind a 205 pacer or starting with that person 
was helpful because that forced me to be slower than I wanted to be for the first couple miles. So, you know, it's not you're not going to start with a 215 pacer if you want to run a 2 hours, but if you do have those kind of increments and you feel like that person is solid, like that isn't a bad strategy in my mind. I so. totally agree, and I've done that as well at marathons. So, um, yeah. yeah, it's great, great strategy. Yeah, yeah. It just depends on how you know how big it is and who that is. But yeah, so yeah, it, you can take them, you can leave them. Um, yeah. But at mile ten, you gotta you gotta expect a, a little bit of a hurt, right? Or we're gonna try Absolutely. to take it up a little bit, yeah. and probably even before it. Um, but but by mile ten, you know, look 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 how close you are. You've got three miles to go. How many times have you run three miles? You know. A bazillion. So um, at that point, it's time to start, you know, kind of letting it all go, putting it all out there. Um, you know, not not sprinting, obviously, with three miles to go, but it's time to, you know, at least be on. You know, you should definitely be on pace at that point if you're going for your PR. But but you know, even even better if you're if you're able to get a little under pace at that point. This is the time to really push the pedal to the metal and and see what you've got left. Absolutely. So. And this is the time where, um, like, what do you do when you when you when you put the metal, pedal to the metal, Amanda? What do you do mentally? I mean, I would say I, you know, I sort I sort of ease into that, um, and then I get myself up to a point where, you know, it's hurting, but it's sustainable. Um, yeah. So I would call it like kind of like kind of like kind of like tempo, like comfortably hard, you know, yeah. um, hurting. Do you like? Do you do? Do you have a mantra? Do you um, count? I've never, I honestly have never been a big market person. I'm, I'm more, yeah. I really tune into how I'm feeling and keep reassessing. I'm very in, internally focused with this kind of stuff. So, um, okay. yeah, that, that's kind of, but the, you know, everyone's different. But um, it, so, you know, and I just keep reminding myself it hurts, but you know, the pain's almost over and the hurt will be worth it. Um, yeah. Nothing is forever. Nothing is forever. Yep. So mile 11 and 12, and again, the point is, especially, you know, if you're going to, to run, to have a great day, you know, maybe you're not hurting, um, but but if it is, you know, feeling like, oh my gosh, you know, uh, this, how long is this going to go on? That's the point, right? So, you know, do your best to kind of lean in and realize that, um, you know, it, it's that means that you're doing a good job, right? That means that you're doing a good job. Yeah. And then smile, of course, to the finish line, right? Put your arms in the air, strong, straight arms yes. for a victory pick, right? Yes. Yeah. And, and you know what, adding into when you talk about where you say smile, you know, the, the, you have that there. You know what, try to remember that, that little key and key um, throughout the race, places where you're hurting. Try to throw a smile on your face. There, there you know, are, are a lot of research that supports that it can actually make you feel better when you put a smile on your face. You know, somehow your brain registers that things are okay. So, um, remember that if you can. Absolutely, absolutely. And then we get to the, after the race, you're going to kind of want to walk around a little bit, right? Definitely, definitely. definitely. Start walking some of that junk out. And um, I know it's, it's hard to do this now what you want to do, but it's worth it. Even, worth even it. like a five-minute, extremely slow, little stakeout jog is, is really beneficial just to move the junk around. But don't, like, get your medal and sit down on the curb. <laughs> yeah, which, which is, is tempting for sure, especially absolutely. if you run hard. But. Yeah, I mean, even if it's just metal and walking, I mean, after the marathon, you know, walking to the car instead of having somebody come pick you up, you know, um, that, yeah. that kind of thing. You don't have to go out and, you know, run another three miles. Um, and so the marathon, um, I'm just going to pull this up quickly. Um, the marathon is pretty similar. Um, the only thing is kind of where you're kind of your, where you want to settle into your pace. What, what, um, let me pull it up here. Okay. Um, 
Start slow. Oh, the 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 warm up we say is is um, optional for marathon, right? Because you've got so long to go that yeah. you know you'll start yeah. starting slow. So yeah, um, yeah. I mean, maybe okay. lots of lunges and that kind of thing just to get the blood flowing a little bit. But you know, if you don't feel like running, that's fine. <laughs> you got you got plenty of miles ahead. And then um, the marathon around mile six is kind of what we said about when you want to be settling into your goal pace. Does that sound about right? Yeah, I think that's a great, great place to be settling in and, um, you know, holding it. Um, and, and, and like I said, you know, assess a few miles down the road after you've started holding it and, and see how it's feeling and, and, um, and still not allowing yourself to go faster than goal yet because um, it's just way too early to do that even if you feel fabulous. So, yeah. And you should feel fabulous around mile six if you've done the training correctly, right? That's right. Yeah. Um, and then I, the other thing that I want to talk about here, and these in these documents, just so you know, they they are filed in the Facebook page. They are under the running resources in the Train Like a Mother Club. They will be in your newsletters um, the weeks uh, prior to your race. So um, so this is not the only time you're going to see them. You can spend some time looking at them. But I want to talk just um, as a final point about um, the highs and the lows and to expect them. So we we kind of hit on that in miles 17 to 20, but your highs and lows, I mean, that's, you know, that it kind of mimics life, right? There's going to be points of elation. There's going to point, be points of desperation um, in every race. And um, and they get more amplified the farther you go, right? Absolutely. And they can start to move together as well um, as you get into those later miles. And so expect them. And, again, you know, kind of have your game plan in place. What am I going to do when I start going crappy? Um, you know, I'll usually – so my pace at that point. Um, does this sound okay for you, Jimmy? Can you hear me? Yeah. Yeah. There, that's better. Yeah, that's better. Yeah, that's better. Okay. Um, but yeah, you you just kind of be prepared, and um, you know, like I said, when 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 I start really really hurting, I'll kind of slow down a little bit and collect myself, and you know, assess whether or not I need to go there. Like you alluded to earlier. And um, and and just ride it out. It's gonna pass. It's gonna pass. And then you know, once it passes and you're feeling better, then try to pick it up again a little bit. You know, use those use those times um, to your advantage, and don't sweat the clock so much at that point. You know, um, because it's gonna even out in the end. So, um, but yeah, just just be prepared for that. It's a roller coaster ride at the end. So. <sighs> Awesome. Well, so thank you very much, um, Coach Amanda, for going through this. Um, and if you have any questions, of course, you can tag her um, on the Facebook page. And uh, gosh, I can't wait to hear the race report starts rolling. We've had a couple so far, but um, but they're going to be coming fast and furious yeah. in the next couple weeks. And it's really, really fun to see. So, you know, whether you have a good race or you have a race that leaves a little bit to be desired, I really, we both really hope that you take pride in the commitment to the training that you've done and all the miles you've run in training and how you fit it into your busy life. I mean, yes, race day is awesome and race day is a party and race day, you know, is your focus. But even if it doesn't go perfectly, it's going to be okay. Like you, there's always another race. There's always another chance to prove what you can do. And so the more that you can kind of keep that attitude and walk away saying, I'm going to learn something today, regardless of whether or not the clock shows, you know, whatever the clock shows, um, you know, it's hard, but it's it's definitely important. Absolutely. Agree. Agree. So, yeah, good luck to everybody. I'm very excited. And I'm excited to meet you. Yeah.
Pittsburgh is going to be awesome. So yeah, we will see you guys soon and, and take care. Bye, Amanda. Thank you very much. <laughs>